Hello and welcome to the United Masterclass, a tactical podcast about Man United. I'm your host, Heydar Obani, and I'm joined as always by Rob Blanchett. Rob, don't get too high, don't get too low, but we can get too, we can get high today, can't we? You know, United have won four in a row now. They've beaten tabletop as Arsenal with a very good 3-1 victory. Anthony gets a dream goal on his debut. There's a lot to be positive about. Absolutely. Get high about positivity, 100%. I think the whole thing about don't get too high, don't get too low, is when people maybe get carried away. So get carried away in the moment when the goals go in the back of the net. Feel that. Enjoy all of that. I certainly did at Old Trafford yesterday. My voice is still a little bit hoarse, but, you know, we'll get through the show. I'm sure it will be okay. But just so many positives from this from this United side, from these Ten Hag tactics. The reason why we do this show is to kind of sift through all the good stuff. I think last year, people thought that the show was just about bad tactics, but if you see bad tactics, you've got to talk about them. But that's not where we are today. Uh, a fantastic result for Manchester United. A really, really good performance. performance. And now we're starting to see, aren't we, that C word. And the C word actually is consistency. So United's starting to show that they can do 10 hard things on a regular basis. Absolutely. And look, to guys, stay on the show. What we're going to do is we're going to talk about how Manchester United beat Arsenal. A very, very good Arsenal side, that must be said. You know, a side that dominated a lot of the phases of play yesterday and possession. But we'll talk to you about why Man United did win that game. We'll talk about Anthony's debut and his role in Ten Hag's system. I think you can see from the goal, Rob, how important it is to have a right footer on that left-hand side. I don't think our right-footed right-wingers would have done the same thing. Then we're going to talk about the one, Marcus Rashford, who's had a really good start to the season. And we're going to talk about his usage and his impact as the number nine. And then we'll talk about Christian Eriksen as well in midfield, who has uh, changed the way Man United play and offering something that we previously didn't have. Um, we might have had it under Paul Pogba, but we didn't see it enough. But as always, guys, make sure to give us a follow on at Man United MC. Give my fo- myself a follow on at Hayden underscore Rabani. And give Rob a follow on at underscore Rob underscore B. Hit the like button, hit the subscribe button, and give us a retweet as well. We're going to get as many people in this conversation as possible, as always. But Rob, let's start with the game now. So we'll talk about the overview. As always, the graphic from who scored here. United set up with a 4-2-3-1, which was interesting. So one of the positives, I think, is that Ten Hag has been consistent, hasn't he, with his selections. So he's got a settled unit in that back four, and that's his foundation he's going to build off. He's gone with Ericsson and McTominay as well, which seems to be his favoured midfield pairing as well. I thought Casemiro might have started, but I could see why he did go with McTominay, who's been playing very, very well. Ericsson offering him some verticality and ability to break the lines. And then you had Anthony, surprisingly, had his first start. We did do a preview, didn't we? We said that we didn't expect him to start, but he did start. And what a great debut as well with that goal. We had Bruno Fernandes and Jen Sancho. Probably May United's best back, uh, sorry, front three behind Marcus Rashford, I would say. And then Rashford with a fantastic performance. On paper, do you think this is May United's best 11 currently on form? On form, yes. Manchester United's future, you know, 11? No, no, I don't believe that. Um, what you just said there is completely correct about, again, consistency and how Ten Hag sets up. So it was 4-2-3-1. Yeah, my my uh, seat is on the halfway line at Old Trafford. I'm directly opposite the dugout. So Ten Hag has stood right in front of me. And you could see that in the shape of the team in this match, it was 4-2-3-1 with that three across. Not a double pivot. You know, it wasn't McFred, you know, with Ericsson and McTominay. And I think it's important to highlight that. We'll talk a little bit more about Ericsson later on in the show. But this really is just a flexible 4-3-3. 
you want to kind of be just relaxed about it, that's what it is. Why is that? Well, it's because Fernandes can drop into that midfield, make up an extra person. And you saw really what United were trying to do with this 4-2-3-1 was send Arsenal out wide. Why? Because Arsenal wanted to go right through the middle, like they do against everyone, because they're good ball players, aren't they? An incredibly exciting Arsenal team. If I'm an Arsenal fan, I don't walk away from this game feeling bad about my team. I'd say, well, for 60 minutes, we were the better side on the ball, but maybe overall a little bit naive, maybe a little bit short of what was needed to win the game. But you just said there as well about the three behind Rashford. I think this is going to be the key for Ten Hag moving forward game to game. It's about which front four... You know, rather than calling it a three and a one or a three up top, but which front four will give me the most effective press against certain opponents? And I think this is why you're seeing Ericsson becoming a central midfielder because he's not really, is he? You know, we know he's a 10. We know he wants to play higher up. But now we're seeing Scott McTominay derided by every Man United fan on the planet for so long, showing that he can do midfield things in both the kind of eight function and six function. So exciting because I think it shows that Man United have got now a squad that can do all of the things that Ten Hag wants. Now it's about repetition, Hader. Can you keep doing it? Can you keep doing it? A result against Arsenal shows that if you do this against the other, what do I always say, 16 teams outside the top four, you should beat them because you're good enough. And I think that's maybe a big difference in our own self-esteem at Manchester United that maybe wasn't there last season. Something that I have noticed, Rob, which has surprised me about Ten Hag, to be honest with you, is his flexibility tactically and in terms of systems as well. When he first joined, I was really expecting him to be very rigid in terms of almost LVG-esque, uh, hmm. you know, in terms of, right, this is my philosophy. These are my principles. This is how I want my team to play. And you as the players have to fit that. And yeah. what I've noticed is that the foundations are there. His principles are there, but he's tweaking it and adapting it. And that's a sign of a really good tactician. You could see that Arsenal have had a much longer time with Arteta. They've had three yeah. years to implement the system. They are better technically. If you look across the pitch, like you said, they're a really good Arsenal side. And it's while it's fun to poke fun at Arsenal fans, my brothers and Arsenal fans, so it was good fun to send them a picture of Anthony in, the, in our group chat, all this sort of stuff. But you can't take away from the fact they're a really good side. And I think they bought really well and, and they're going to be, I think, contenders in the not too distant future. But what Ten Hag did is he didn't overcomplicate the game plan, essentially. What I really liked is Ericsson, he was uh, breaking the lines with his passing, and we'll talk about him in more detail later, but that was really brilliant. Giving it to Bruno Fernandes, who was higher up, who could turn, and he's a great passer, isn't he, in terms of his through balls. And United were organized. The shape is very, very good. In such a small amount of time, you know, we're talking six games in the preseason, United look so much more organized, don't they, compared to the last couple of seasons. Hmm. We conceded territory, I think, a little bit, and possession, but we won the ball back. And we were ruthless and in our transition. So that's all I noticed. And you can say that Arsenal dominated possession, territory, most of the phases of play. But ultimately, at the end of the day, they didn't execute their game plan as well as Man United did. So that's why Manchester United won. But the biggest thing for me as well is because he's got a settled back four that he knows is really building a great understanding. That gives so much confidence for the forward players to go forward and do what they've got to do. Totally. And, and this is the thing, you know, talk about building a team and how long it takes to build a team. And the truth is, it probably takes you about a year to really soak up tactics, philosophy and apply it. But in the early days, you can start to do the function and do it well if you've got a certain talent of 
of player in your team. So comparing the two sides here there, sorry, Hayden, I'll just flip back to that, yeah, because we're still talking about this. When you look at Arsenal, when you look at Arsenal pound for pound, player for player, they're not better than Man United. They're just not. Like, look at look at that. There was, a, like, Lukonga in the middle there. Xhaka, who's played well this year, but I wouldn't have him anywhere near Man United's team. So there are players in there. Saliba, first season, really, is a, is a first choice. White playing right back. He's not a right back. He's a central player, generally. So there, were, it, there, there are issues in that team. But, of course, they did have injuries. But when you look at Man United, this might only be game five, six, seven in their life spell of doing Ten Hag things. But they've got more talented players, Ericsson, Sancho, now Anthony, Bruno Fernandes, Marcus Rashford, you know, Varane and Martinez. So the, the, these are the things that get you going and get you moving in the right direction. And that's what Arsenal fell down on on the day. They are a really good team. I expect them to finish higher than Man United. I do because they're just better at the moment. But they will have hiccups. They absolutely will because they're a young side. And they're trying to find their way. And like I said, if I was an Arsenal fan coming away from this, I would be saying, well, we lost this one, but there's a reason why we won our first five games. It's just that in these big matches, they might find it difficult to turn the screw, even when they have all of the ball. Absolutely. Let's move on as well to just a couple of strengths and weaknesses that both sides exhibited during the game. This is again from who's scored. Interestingly enough, Rob, for all of Arsenal's possession and dominance of territory and phases yeah. of play, there was no notable strengths or weaknesses, but they did have a large quantity of possession in the opponent's half and they favoured long shots. When you look at Man United, a lot of great through balls, effective mm. in goal-scoring opportunities. We were clinical, strong at finishing. You know, we were, we were very good. And we'll talk about the XG in a minute as well. Weaknesses, we're aggressive. That can also be taken as a positive. I think United gave away smart free kicks. The, you know the one where McTominay just basically rugby tackles Jesus yeah. to the ground, gets the yellow card. That was smart. That was that was a foul. I was I was applauding that. I was like, well done. That's a tactical was, foul. Yeah, yeah tactical foul. United were street smart. They were aggressive. I think Arsenal, as you said, they were more naive. And then the other one was United were caught on offside often when you move on to the sort of the, the forensics and the, in the statistics of the game while arsenal did have more shots may not did have more on target they had six to arsenal's three the mm -hmm. hair i believe was tested once with, with one save uh yeah. the xg for united is 1.35 to arsenal's 1.45 so for all your possession ultimately at the end of the day it's about putting the ball in the back of the net i don't think united are in any sort of low block or just hitting them on transition because you look at that first goal rob there was 18 passes. United went all the way up. They went down to Anthony, all the way back. Martinez went back up. It went to Malasia, back to Malasia, to Ericsson. Brilliant line-breaking pass to Bruno Fernandes, who turns, gets fouled, but passes it to Sancho. Great pass to Rashford, again, to Anthony, and a fantastic finish. 18 passes. There's no, There was no counter-attacking. Not that it's a bad thing, but you know, there's a bit of a misconception that United just transitioned on Arsenal, but that's not necessarily true. United play no, some really no. great football. So while the stats might suggest that Arsenal heavily dominate possession, United are just playing on the counter. It, when you look into it deeper and you, you look at the statistics with, with what you see with your eyes, United played some lovely stuff. Totally. And I think, you know, there's a difference between counter-attack and counter-press. They're very, very defined things. But what did United do yesterday? And I think we especially look uh, at the Rashford goal and you look at, obviously, Ericsson's role in the third goal is that United found the pass through the team. Yeah, it wasn't a, 
right, you've lost the ball. We're going to counter press on you. One, two, three, being goal. It wasn't like that. Rashford's first goal was a little bit more like that, where United made three successful passes and Anthony's then got, you know, a, a relatively easy shot to put it away. But you saw with the next one, it was more about breaking the lines and making the correct passes. So that's all positive stuff because when Ole Gunnar Solskjaer was doing the counter-attack, it was more pure counter-attack. It was like a mid-block that turns into more like a low block. Everyone's going backwards and you're thinking, what can we do here? All we can do is counter-attack. But what you're seeing with this Man United team is the intelligence bubbling to the top. What you're seeing is the better players, the talent, being able to affect the football match. And kind of, as I said, this is where Ericsson really shines. This is where Bruno, the best parts of his game, really live. You know, we know that still he was giving the ball away at times in the first half. And I'm still stood there going, why are you giving the ball away in that area? Just stop it, mate. Go up the other end of the pitch. It's something you don't see Ericsson do, do you? You just see it happens with Bruno. But when you look at the other players, the fullbacks, and even Rashford to an extent, they're just joining the dots a little bit better and, and it's comfortable. It never feels like they're overstretching. It feels like they have a philosophy and a game plan. Something to add, Rob, as well, is that uh, United's build-up, their structure in the build-up has been a lot better. It's a, yeah. You can see that it's been a lot, it's a lot more coached. And I think, interestingly enough, and that's where the flexibility comes in, for the first goal, Ericsson did drop into that number six position. Mm-hmm. It wasn't McTominay, for example. So, you know, we know McTominay's weaknesses and I think he played to his strengths yesterday, but yeah. Ericsson's on that picked it up and played that fantastic ball into Bruno. So we've seen that a few times that Ericsson will get onto the ball deeper. Doesn't mean he's playing in the defensive midfield position, but that that's the role Frankie De Jong would have played. I know he's not at the club, but, you know, that's the, the sort of profile that Ten Hag was looking. And I think that's the positive thing is that these players are now understanding, you know, okay, so we know what Scott's uh, weaknesses are. Ericsson's going to pick up the ball. You know, they're understanding these things. So I think that the, it's been solid in terms of our structure, in terms of the build-up. So I'm really I'm really happy with what we're seeing so far. And up here on the screen, we're having a look as well at the some more some more stats, Rob. So in terms of the passes that Arsenal had 488, United 323. We were just talking off-air before we came on. And I said, that's not that much of a difference because I've seen United beat City with, under Oli with two to 250 passes, City having 700. Um, so and then interesting enough, here another one is average pass streak. So United had four to Arsenal's five, didn't feel like that, did it at times? In that, especially between the sort of 15 minute mark up to the 60th minute mark, where Arsenal were just they were getting us, weren't they? They were just passing us to death. We pushed them out wide, and I think let's talk about that a little bit because pushing them out wide, although we saw Malassia struggle against Saka, but did fantastically well. Saka's one of the hardest wingers to play against. Dallow had a tough first half. But pushing them wide actually benefited United. And it meant that Jesus, who is really difficult to stop, actually didn't have many opportunities to hurt Man United. Yeah, I said in the preview show when we talked about Arsenal uh, before the match, I said the game will be won and lost at fullback. That's what I said. And the reason why I said that is I kind of expected United to send Arsenal into the wide areas. So if United's fullbacks did their defensive function, but also got on the front foot and pushed the ball forward, then I felt that United had a much better chance of winning. So it's kind of how the game did pan out. You're saying here with the the passes, um, I'm certainly not going to underplay the importance of possession. Because I think it's very easy, especially for United fans in the last few years to go, oh, like you just said there, we beat City, but they had 700 passes and we had six. You know, it's kind of like, you know, it's kind of like, oh, they had, you know, 500 passes more than us. If you win the game, it doesn't matter. But generally in your philosophy and what you're trying to do, when you're looking at 3-2-3 versus 4-8-8, it does mean that Arsenal had about 25, 30% more of the ball. But if they're having that ball, 
to where your fullbacks are and addressing your fullbacks. It's not dangerous. There's no problem there. Unless maybe they play one-twos and get round the back of you. Arsenal didn't really do that. I think it shows here crosses. They had, in the end, 16. But United centre-backs are dealing with all of that this season. So that's a good thing. you know. And this is where maybe the Maguire and Lindelof thing will come into play later in the season if they end up playing more matches due to injuries. Overall, though, I think when you look at it, kind of long balls, very, very similar. Short passes, Arsenal obviously pass the ball, the air out of the ball in the in just over that half of the pitch. But overall, as you said there, average pass streak at the bottom, Arsenal five, Manchester United four. So I think that United were very economical on the ball. And they're economical on the ball because the passers of the ball, like Ericsson, are doing their jobs. It's kind of as simple as that. So, yes, you didn't get Frankie de Jong, but you do have someone that can do Frankie de Jong things. And this is where Ten Hag, I think, will build forward now. And I think it's probably why we'll see Ericsson more as a central midfielder this season. And also the reason why Casemiro didn't start this game, because he is a ball progressor as well, but he's just not as good at it as as uh, as Ericsson, is he? Ericsson is a, a flair player who can do all of that stuff and also break the lines probably better than Casemiro can. Interesting comment here as well, Rob, from Aura uh, saying that when we saw more of Martinez's ball-playing abilities, didn't we? And that's what he was bought for. But he stepped in the midfield and passed yeah. Bruno and Anthony seven times. Apparently seven key passes were played mm-hmm. to them. So that, that, that was really good. And we saw a couple of times he played, uh, you know, that's that ball across the pitch from left to right to Anthony. Obviously, yeah. that's something they did a lot. That's going to be really key, switching the play and being able to do that. And uh, so I think that's a positive as well. Comment here saying that May United showed grit, uh, soaked the Arsenal pressure in with bits and hit them back with a trademark United yeah. counter-attack. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, was very, very good. Also, we looked at this last week, and I just want to highlight it again because United have uh, been very lopsided for a lot of lot of uh, the last four or five years, haven't they? And that, that's been... That's been down to the fact we haven't had the right personnel. That right hand mm-hmm. side, we brought in Jaden Sanchez to play on the right, but uh, a lot more, a lot more settled, aren't we? In terms of a lot more comfortable in, play, in terms of playing on the left, playing on the right, playing centrally, a lot more balance to this side. And the goal came from the right hand side, uh, which was very, very positive. Yeah, it's human nature that if you see something work, you tend to repeat it. So I think United sides are the last year or two, you know, the left side working, the right side doesn't work. What do you do? You go and play on the left. But of course, that becomes very predictable. It's very easy for a coach to maybe look at that in terms of the metrics before the game and go, hmm, they're going to go down the left today, aren't they? What you're seeing with this kind of spread across from left to right is that United have got more savvy to that. The manager's saying, do not be predictable. You know, be you know, be, be a team that, that could do something different that the opponent does not expect. So you're seeing here, this is why Anthony is so important. And so we'll talk about Anthony in the next segment. Because he will do different things to Jaden Sancho on the right. He just will. He's a different kind of player. Both very skillful, both technically gifted. But you're going to see of Anthony, especially with the goal he scored, he will make that run two or three times every match. And Rashford will now know that if he can get that ball through the channel, and also Ronaldo, like Ronaldo came on and Ronaldo can make that pass 100%. If you slide that ball in, that Anthony's going to open his body up with his left foot and be able to put it in the far corner. Whereas, let's say, Jaden Sancho might want to just put his right foot through it and leather it from that side. It makes it a much less chance of going in. But really good to see United playing in kind of all thirds of the pitch here, both left and right and down the centre. And you should expect that to, to be maintained now because Ten Hag wants his team to look exactly like this. Let's uh, let's segue into, into Anthony, Rob, because I think uh, you made some great points. And... 
that goal doesn't happen if one of the right footers are playing on that right hand side. It no. just doesn't. You know, the way he opens up his body and slots that beautifully into the into the bottom left hand corner. Mm-hmm. What you can see here on the screen is a graphic from Sofa Score, and this gives a really nice breakdown of Anthony's performance. So he played 58 minutes. No surprise. I was surprised he started, to be honest with you. I was expecting Casemiro to start when we when we uh all thought there'd be a Brazilian starting, but uh no, Anthony started. He was actually, I mean, Arsenal had two or three players players on him all the time, really, Rob. I noticed that in that mm-hmm. first half. You know, they tried to rough him up a little bit. I mean, look, he's he's uh, he's a fantastic player that sort of brings you off uh, off your seat. I don't think he was amazing. It's his first game. He's had two training sessions. I wouldn't expect it, but he impacted the game. You can see here as well, you know, his passing was at 71%. So that's, that's 10 out of 14. So not a lot of passes, but he had three shots, two on target, one off target. So that was the most in the first half. So he had an impact. He was getting the ball. He was willing to you know take a gamble have a shot open up his body and uh, look at the ground duels as well he won three out of six aerial duels he didn't win any and possession lost nine times so generally speaking when you have a look at the heat map as well he hugged that right hand side which is what you want and i'm really excited to watch him play because i think he's going to be very good in 1v1 um situations i think he's going to be able to get goals and get assists but also he understands the system inside and that's why he started because ten hog knew in this big game I don't need to go and tell Anthony what to do. I don't need him to maybe train a little bit more like Casemiro does to understand the role. I can put him out there and he's going to do what he's done for me the last two years. So that was a big positive. But I love the passion. I loved, you know, the way he sort of grabbed his shirt, uh, kissed the badge as well. I absolutely loved it. He's going to be another fan favorite. Great character to come into the dressing room. And that's something we're saying a lot about Ten Hag signings, right? We can talk about the quality that they bring. But Martinez, uh, you look at um, you look at Anthony as well, Malassia um you know Casemiro we know his quality and he's, he's a world-class player Christian Eriksen all fantastic characters come into his dressing room we yeah. needed to fix his dressing room and that's five players who all come in and made a really good impact Casemiro not yet but I'm sure he will in this squad and in this team so that was very big positive but Anthony it, it kind of reminded me a little bit of Mares on that right hand side I think Mares is more silky I think Anthony's a little bit more um a bit more explosive but Offering the similar sort of things that Pep Guardiola wants from his, you know, whoever's playing on that right-hand side, uh, whether it's Mares or Foden. Yeah, I think in terms of function, definitely similar to Mares. I think if you want to kind of compare him to a player and just, you know, in terms of a more random sense, I think he's kind of more like Nani. So Nani can go and do that, you know, when he was at United, he could go and t- play on that touchline as an out-and-out winger. Obviously, different system, different manager, different time in terms of football. But always giving you that threat on the front foot. You know, a player who's not just looking to make the assist, but can also be the be the final person to get the ball. So that's what we saw with his goal yesterday. You said you weren't overly impressed. You thought he was kind of good and, you know, did, did some of the good things. If he plays this game identically, Haydar, for the next 60 games, I'm good with it. I'm happy. Why? Because it's more about function rather than than kind of the end product. But the end product is that you won and you won quite comfortably in the end in terms of the scoreline. I think what I wanted to see from um, him yesterday was just that immediate kind of acclimatisation. And you said it just there at the top of the segment, is that he probably knows Ten Hag's tactics on the right better than any current Man United player. That's a unique situation, isn't it? He's come in. He knows all this stuff because the manager's hammered it into him over a long period of time. So you saw that absolutely in this game in the fact that he was there in terms of the shape for the interception. He wasn't pressing too high. He wasn't getting too excited. He wasn't going meeting the full back and kind of being aggressive. 
he was actually saying, right, this is my area and I live here. And when I go wide, the fullback will come with me. When I come narrow, the fullback will come with me there. Then Delo can overlap. And you could see all of that was already in place. Now, it's very unique for a brand new player. It's just that he knows the manager so well. So I think in terms of his overall metrics, the most important one is that he scored. He had one good chance and he didn't even think, did he? The ball was in. He didn't think, oh, am I in the Eredivisie now or the Premier League? Well, it doesn't matter where you are on any football pitch. The job is to put it in the net. And he did it without even thinking. You saw Ramsdale, literally no chance. Far post, left foot, wrapped round it. Easy goal for, for Anthony. And if United make opportunities for Anthony like that, Anthony can get double digits and double goals this year. It's what I said when we signed him. Even though his metrics in, in Eredivisie does not, do not show that, if you play him in and give him good opportunities, he can hit the target more often than not. How important is it for Dallow as well to have a player that is left-footed on the right-hand side? Because Massively. I think what we saw is yeah. that um, it's more natural for Anthony to cut in because obviously he's he's left-footed. But that means that Dallow will be making more overlapping runs. We've seen Dallow very inverted, but I feel like that left-footed, for me personally, when, when I watch it, I think the left-footed... Um, right winger and then they're obviously the right footed right back. I feel like that's that's got a nice balance to it. And I think that Dallow's capable of making those runs outside. He's also capable of becoming inverted as well. But I think those two together, the fact they both speak Portuguese as well, Rob does help as well yeah. in terms of communication. Yeah. So I just think I feel like Dallow's gonna benefit a lot as well from Anthony who is who is who could explode Rob to be honest with you. I know it's one game in but He's got all the all the characteristics. Don't get too high. Don't get too low, Haydar. Don't I'm make just, a mistake. I'm just saying. I'm just saying that. I'm just saying that when you look at the the raw attributes that yeah. he's got, and then you know that he knows the manager system, then I think that he could be a really, really important signing. Because we were talking about, we were saying, okay, well, look, the club should probably get rid of Ronaldo. We need a striker, but we'll talk about Marcus as well a little bit later on. But Marcus's emergence as a number nine, I think that's probably where I'd like to see him play more. Martial, if he can keep fit, we've seen what he can do when he can. Ronaldo had a nice cameo. Suddenly, the number nine position is not looking as bad. Actually, the right winger position, now that we're looking back and seeing that United brought this in, it was actually more important than a number nine. We can probably do for a season with those three players playing at number nine. Yeah, and look, we've consistently said this for weeks and months and when Ten Hag got the job, is that the number nine position itself as an out-and-out -out role, as a nine doing a nine things, is not massively important. It's much more important to have the players and the support function there for that number nine. That's more important. And then who plays the nine? You know, it's more about the press and the shape and all of those things. That's what constricts Cristiano. You know, it, it's not that Cristiano can't score goals. Of course he can. Like, if you give him the ball on the edge of the box or in the box, I would bet bet more on Cristiano scoring than any other Man United player. But it's how you get the ball there. How do you make that work? So, Anthony, you know, you just said that, you know, he might pop and he might he might just be a success straight away. He might do. I still think there'll be tougher days for him than what he felt against Arsenal. Uh, you said about Delo. The benefit for Delo, of course, yeah, is a, is a player coming inside on his left foot, opening up the overlap. But you know what? That's also massively advantageous for Aaron Wambasaka. So we might say that Aaron can't pass the ball or cross the ball in the same way the, that Delo can. But overall, it's been the same issue for Wambasaka, isn't it? Is that his partner on the right-hand side, he's either looking after them or the overlap isn't on. So he sits deeper. And I also saw last uh, in the last game, I think it was really interesting, is that when Delo was allowed to go, Malassia didn't. So it's that classic style of, of a player straying tight with Martinez on that side 
and also then Varane just looking after the right. It's, it's the asymmetric uh, fullbacks, yeah. Absolutely. So, like, you play that asymmetric style. That's normal in today's football. And, and you saw uh, that there was no kind of invertedness yesterday, which we've seen in other games, where you might see one of the fullbacks coming inward a little bit more. The reason for that, of course, you've got someone like Anthony. He's going to invert, isn't he? He's coming inside. He's going to be like almost like a false nine at times, coming very narrow, coming to pick the ball up in the number 10 positions. So it's all good. You know, like you said, we saw that yesterday. That heat map there shows exactly where he operates. He is like a right winger that does more of the modern function on that side where he can play in the half space, come narrow. That left foot is sweet. We know that he likes to shoot with it. He did have a shot early in the game and it wasn't very good. But I straight away thought, that's good because he's thinking about his game. He's thinking, this is what I'm good at. I'm going to give it a go. And I said, the goal was perfect because Rashford knew he was there before Rashford even had to make the pass. That ball comes in and Rash just kind of stops the play. Little check to see that the player is running to stay onside. Feeds it in the gap. He's obviously miles onside. Goal. Perfect. Perfect start for Manchester United in terms of the match. Marcus Rashford, Rob. We're mm. going to talk about him now because you've just said he's done that twice now, two and two two games. He did that yeah. before Jen Sanchez as well. That's a bit of a pattern as well. We, you know, the the word, you know, the phrase patterns of play, patterns of play, you know, mm. gets thrown around and used to get thrown at Ollie as well. There are no patterns of play in the final third. United have scored quite a few similar goals, you know, where they've had the training you know, ground goals to keep calling yeah. them. Definitely. And that's and that's you know we talk about Manchester City that pullback goal that they always score, mm-hmm. and that is so so important because United need to. You know, Taylor needs to drill this in, doesn't he? he? Needs to drill it in and drill it Definitely. in and drill it in. And these players need to have almost as like second nature. This is what we're going to do. We're going to score, see more goals like that. But Marcus Rashford, really tough year. Let's be honest. He's been frustrating. At times, I've looked at him and thought, is he putting a shift in? Is he working hard? Is he walking around the pitch? Doesn't look happy. He's had a bad injury as well. Very, very frustrating player because we know what he's capable of. He was unplayable yesterday to be honest with you two goals and an assist he was uh he's very clinical when he's through on goal he was doing the hard work in terms of his pressing i think he struggles a little bit still to play with back to goal i think when ronaldo came on united actually held the ball up a little bit better to be honest with you but what i do want to point out is that his record versus the top six so against chelsea he scored five goals and three assists city four goals one assist arsenal four goals four assists Liverpool, six goals, one assist. Spurs, four goals, no assist. That's 32 goals and assists against the top six. He's only 24 years old. Big game player. And it's almost to me that um, Ten Hag simplified his game. He's like, right, Marcus, you're good at this. You are great in terms of getting in behind, using your pace. You're a really good finisher. You don't need to try and you know beat four or five men. I think he's probably better as, as a number nine. Uh, you have got good link-up play as well. We've seen that. He's done that twice now in two games where he's fed it to, to Sancho, he's fed it to Anthony. He's almost just taken out all the... When Marcus was playing, I felt like he was overthinking everything. He's like, you know, should I beat my man here? Should I press? Should I not? Simplified his game. And now we've he's emerged, as for me, as probably the option if Martial's not playing as a number nine. And if he can keep fit, that number nine position is his own. And very early days, but he's looking like that player that we saw... 18 months or two years ago when he was, you know, what was it? 30 odd goals and assists, something ridiculous like that. It's amazing. Yeah. I think with Marcus and, you know, I agree with you. I think he probably is going to be either the first or second choice number nine this year. If Cristiano is say the de facto third coming off the bench, I think that's the way it will be. 
I think when you look at Marcus's game and how he wants to play, overall, it, with him, it, he, he tweeted out a word straight after the game yesterday, togetherness. And I think for players like Rashford, for Sancho, especially maybe the, the guys who are on the this side of 25, you know, still relatively young, they need that. They need leaders around them. They need people giving them a hug now and then, saying, right, you didn't do that very well, but come on, you know, let's keep going. And I think in terms of the, the function of the nine position for Ten Hag, it suits Rashford because lots of moving parts around him. Now, with Ole, I'm going back to Ranić, that wasn't happening. He was getting kind of pigeonholed in a position. It was all very straight line, wasn't it? You run in straight lines. You don't come inside. You try and keep the, uh, keep the whip. And when he was getting opportunities, he wasn't putting them away because they weren't great opportunities. And then that plays on a player's mind. There's no doubt about it. So I think in this game, you saw here, you can see on his heat map here, we don't really need to delve too much into the stats, but he did have a, a pass accuracy of 87%, which for a centre forward is fantastic. You don't want him to have a lot of chance, a lot of passing Haydar, but you want him to pass it well. So he's kind of done all of that. One thing I did notice with Marcus, and it was the same with other matches, and I think other our audience members might have noticed this as well. First half, full of energy. Run like non-stop. Second half, it looked like he'd been shot in the leg or something. Like he just, well, just like, had, the team does look like that in the second it, half. And, and that is something that Man United will have to get over in months, not weeks and not days. That is a fitness issue. So Marcus Rashford is not unfit, but Marcus Rashford to play this role really well in the next year or even two or three will need to get fitter. And you saw he came out. I'm telling you what, Jade, I was watching him and like he couldn't, he could hardly walk. It's like watching Ronaldo last year. You know, we're saying Ronaldo looking stiff as a board because he'd, he'd done a bit of running and you, he couldn't move. But what happened was, is that Ten Hag addressed it. So Ten Hag kind of rejigged it around, gave Marcus a little bit of a breather. Marcus came to the technical area one or two times and the manager was like, you do this now for a little bit. So he got his breather for 10 minutes. And then by the time he got the opportunity to score his goals, the engine was full again. The tank was a little bit there. He could make those runs. And at the end of the game, you know, he scored the goal, the second goal, and they all kind of hug him. And he collapses to his knees. He generally collapses to his knees. He's right in front of us. We were like, he's shattered because he's working so hard. But that's what you want. We need to see more. So I feel good about Martial coming back. I also want to uh, highlight Cristiano because... People tweet me all the time and go, oh, you're going to have a go at Ronaldo then today. No, I'm not. Because he came on and for that spell, he did his job really well. We don't need him to ultra press. He doesn't need to be Danny Ings. He doesn't need to be a player that goes right high up or like Bruno does. He just needs to look after the territory. He did that really well yesterday, uh, Ronaldo. And he was active. So rather than looking like he was jogging, he looked like he was running. More. Also, you know Rob, I mean? he nearly he nearely forced uh, a fourth goal. Remember when he pressed running down at Ram the goalkeeper? Ramsdale. Like, can I've, you? I've like, seen that. Yeah, and that's why Ramsdale made that mistake because Ramsdale gets the ball, looks up, and goes, oh, "It's only Ronaldo. He's not going to close me down, is he? I'll just take a week here." And when he takes his fourth touch, Ronaldo's on him. Now, can you imagine if Ronaldo adds that to his game at 38 years old? It's going to change stuff in the Premier League. People are going to look at him differently and he can still get his chances, Haydar. And he'll still get minutes. And he'll still score goals. He'll do the things Ronaldo likes to do. But we need more of it, don't we? Because it's a team game and it's about the team. So at the moment, I would say Rashford is number one with, with Martial. And Ronaldo might play, say, in the Europa League. Uh, and he's got to make sure that he's looking after that press because they're pressing as a unit 
as opposed to that individual press that they had under Ranjik and Ole. And that's why it never worked. Because individual press is rubbish. One would go and then there'd be a gap and you just play straight One would it. go and the other one would be like, do I have to go? And then the other ones would be like, well, I'm not going. And the ball would be one, two, three passes and they're through you and that's that. If you did that against Arsenal yesterday, you'd have definitely lost this game. You'd have lost it 3-4-1, something like that. But because you looked after the press and you did it for 90 minutes with a few tweaks here and there, you managed to kind of have that in-game management that we're often so critical about. We're seeing that so much better under Ten Hag. So well done to Marcus at the top end of the pitch. Well done to Ronaldo for coming on and maintaining it and being part of the team. But just overall, you're seeing that these, these lads, you know, we say about do they like each other? You know, we've said that before. Do this lot like each other? Well, I think with the new new signings, it's pretty clear to see they all tend to like each other. Well, you also have to give Ten Hag massive credit, Rob. You yeah, know, he's 100%. not only is he a fantastic tactician that we've seen his flexibility, adaptability. He's mm-hmm. he's obviously got a man with a plan. We said this many many times. Yeah, but the man management part has also been maybe overlooked to an extent. He's dropped the captain. He's dropped the goat. And yet the squad has still has a togetherness. Yeah. Um, he's dropped Luke Shaw. He's not scared to make those decisions. Obviously, Bruno's captain at the minute. We're seeing it also. I know we're going to talk about Ericsson in, in the final segment, but I want to talk about Bruno quickly, Rob, because he can be the most infuriating footballer. He can be petulant. But he also showed yesterday why he has world-class you know, attributes to his game. Mm-hmm. Some of those passes, I mean, that's what he does well. And you put him in a higher position where he can make those passes, where he's, you know, again, like you said, under Oli and under Ranić, he was just charging, running around like a madman, just pressing mm. here, pressing there. He's much more controlled with it. Does yeah. he still give the ball away and make annoying mistakes? Yes. Can yes. he sometimes be annoying and be petulant? Yes. But there's no doubting that if you get him in the right areas of the pitch, you feed him the ball through the line so he can turn in those pockets, he can be devastating. And we've seen that. And... He's rightly captain for me at the minute as well. I, I would have given Bruno the captaincy when, when... I know you say it doesn't matter who's captain, but he's obviously got the respect of his teammates. He's obviously well-liked in the team. And he is he is a leader. He can he can be frustrating. Sometimes I was watching him against Brentford and I was like, you're, an, you're, you're just a pain in the ass. I'd sell you. That's what I said after, after the game. But I do think that Ten Hag... I mean, the comments right here from Helen, you know, Ten Hag needs to manage him and get his the best out of him. And I think Ten Hag right now has found a way to do that by supplementing with people with players like Ericsson behind. Yeah, look, I've always said, if you give the ball away in the 10 position, it's all right because you generally don't hurt your team. If you give the ball away in the number six position, you're going to hurt your team. And this is what Bruno has done for maybe the last 12 months is that when he comes deep or he tries to join up the play from deep, he gives the ball away. It's not acceptable. It's unacceptable for any player. You know, you can bang on about McFred doing it all day long, but Bruno does it just as much. If Bruno gives the wall away higher up the pitch and in this kind of 4-2-3-1 is allowed to stay higher up the pitch for most of the function of the game, then you're okay with it. And I, I think this is kind of how I read it yesterday. You just said there about the captaincy. When Maguire came on for the last 15 minutes, Bruno took the captain's armband off, walked over to him and put it on his arm straight away. So you actually saw Maguire had the captain's armband for every second that he was on the pitch yesterday. So I'm not interested about the armband or the captaincy too much. I'm interested in leadership. Bruno's showing that leadership now. I think Ericsson is showing quiet leadership. I think Marcus at the front, running and running and running, is showing leadership. I think Varane, with his cool, calm nature, is showing leadership. I think Mar- Martinez, in, in terms of how he plays on that left, is showing leadership. I think Malassia is showing ownership. All of these things, hey, Even McTominay, Rob, a All lot of, of these leadership. things are much more important 
than who wears the armband. The armband is a defunct thing. It's a Roy Keane thing from the past. Brian Robson, great. You don't need it. You need everyone to lead. And this is what you said there about giving Ten Hag um, the credit because he's empowering players. And that's what he'll be saying to the guys now sat on the touchline. He'll be saying to Donny van der Beek, one of his old boys, if you want to get in my team, you've got to be better. And he'll be saying to Luke Shaw, well, do you know what? A year ago, Luke, you might have been the best left back in Europe, but you're not the best left back at the club today. So you need to get back in my team. Harry Maguire, you can have the, the armband, Harry. You are the captain. If you don't play well enough for me in training and show it, you do not play. That is how football teams should be run. That's how it has to be every week. So I'm pleased to see that because I think that sets the precedent for any superstar or any youngster that if you're good enough, then you will play. But if you're not good enough, then you certainly will not. Definitely, I'm all about meritocracy. We've been saying this, we've been banging on about this for ages, that players were getting picked when they were playing poorly. And now what we're seeing is, doesn't matter who you are, how many titles or yeah. Ballon d'Ors you've got, whether you're captain of the football club, if you're not playing to the standard that's required, you're going to get dropped. So that's great to see. Rob, just a, just a final side on Marcus as well. Just looking at uh, his impact this season. So he's got the most progressive passes received, playing number nine, no surprise. Mm -hmm. Most shots, most dribbles in the box, most goal involvements, most goals, most assists, most mm -hmm. through balls out of anyone at May United. He's had a great start to the season. Yeah. And long may it continue, to be honest. And, and he can build on it because I still don't think he's at the top of his form. I think he's doing well. And I think we're seeing that. You see, obviously, with his goals and assists and his involvement across the pitch. But I think this is still the shadow of Marcus Rashford. I think he could still be the star and, and be the player that maybe two or three years ago we were talking about of being on the edge of being a kind of superstar forward, um, you know, being talked about as you know, going to PSG and going to Barcelona and being of the highest level. Um, a lot of people were very low on Marcus. One of the things that people kept saying to me was, Marcus can't play well because he feeds the children, and that's a problem. Well, Marcus is still feeding the children, isn't he? And now he's playing better. So it puts that theory out the water, doesn't it? So, yeah, really pleased to see what Marcus is doing. And let's just hope he sticks with it now. I think with him and Martial, I think if they've given the way and shown the path, then they'll surely do it. Final segment of the show, Rob, Christian Eriksen. Mm -hmm. Great performance. Man of the match yesterday. Yeah. What he brings to this United side and this midfield is calmness. He's very, very comfortable on the ball. He's very aware of, you know, danger, although he did get tackled by Odegaard. That was a foul. So if anyone's saying that's not a foul, go to Specsavers because it definitely was a foul. But... What I really liked from him was, and the reason why, in my opinion, May United won the game, was his ability to break the lines with his passing. Saw the amount of times he passed up to Bruno, the first goal we saw, and the third goal, no, second goal, wasn't it? I believe. Mm -hmm. He has verticality from deep, something that no other player in the squad can do. He's that profile of progressive midfielder that Ten Hag wanted in Frankie de Jong. So he's playing that mm -hmm. Frankie de Jong role, essentially. Mm -hmm. And I think de Jong does it to a higher standard, but Christian Eriksen has changed his main United side. You know, if we'd had McFred playing, United wouldn't have scored two out of those three goals. I think what was really interesting from him as well, though, and we've said this last show, is that it's not just what he does on the ball, it's what he does off the ball as well. He works so hard. He's the player that's run the most for May United uh, before the game against Arsenal. That's the example we're talking about. That's the leadership we're talking about. He doesn't seem like he's the loudest player. We, you know, he's, he seems like he's someone that just gets on with it. He's a good professional, but he's showing with his performances. He's leading by example, by what he does on the pitch, 
maybe not what he says. So I think for me, he's he's been such a smart signing for Man United. I, I've loved him since since the days he was at Spurs. He was amazing under Pochettino. But what we're seeing is he's actually changing his game now, isn't he? He's playing deeper. He's picking up the ball in, in areas that we probably wouldn't have associated with him. You know, we, we know that he's played number 10 a lot of his career or, or out wide as well in Pochettino's system. But his ability to find Bruno in good positions and to play those, you know, those long passes for, let's say, Rashford or, or Anthony to run onto or, or Sancho, it's such a big weapon this Man United side. And that's why I think the way that we're currently playing works at the minute. Maybe we don't have as much control in terms of dominating possession in games, but it works because we have a player that can pick a pass, you know, from deep and with pinpoint accuracy. And we've got good willing runners who can get on the end of it. Yeah, look, if you're technically gifted and technically blessed, generally you can play most of the central positions, maybe not centre-back, but certainly everything in front. And it's a little bit the same of, of the wider plays. You know, we, we talk about power, pace, being able to overlap, having all those, having the quality to deliver the football. Those things have become more, more important in those parts of the park. You look at someone like Christian Eriksen, who's played virtually most of his whole career as an attacking midfielder or as a number 10. Him playing this role reminds me of when Paul Scholes went from being an attacking midfielder to just being a bog standard. Rob, I was saying this to someone today. He reminds me of Paul Scholes. Yeah, and the thing is, he's not Paul Scholes in everything he does, but the key component of what Scholes used to do was controlling the tempo. So Paul Scholes didn't run around like a nutcase. Paul Scholes did used to jump into tackles, but just because he liked doing that rather than it helping Man United, just part of his game. But overall, when the ball went to Carrick, you knew straight away the ball was going from Carrick then to Skulls, and Skulls would then have his head on a swivel, as we used to say. He'd look at the pitch and make the correct pass. That's kind of what Ericsson is doing. That makes Ericsson's life easier. It makes McTominay's life easier. And it also makes Bruno Fernandes' life easier because Bruno isn't the guy who has to have his head on a swivel. He's just not very good at it in the deeper positions. So Christian Ericsson, you know, a revelation, but kind of a revelation we should expect. He's just doing what he does. He's not doing anything spectacular. He's just doing all of the good, smart stuff. One of the things we saw yesterday in the game, and it shows, he was up against Odegaard a lot yesterday. Odegaard, I think, is a fantastic talent. He's going to be a star for this Arsenal team for many, many years to come. He's now the captain. He's an improving player. I watched some of his points of the game, and he's starting to get a little bit De Bruyne-like. It's a bit scary. You kind of look at his movement, you think, He's going to get better. He's just a, of that talent, you know, esque. But he struggled against Ericsson at times yesterday because when he came off Ericsson, Ericsson would go with him. And then when he was kind of out of the danger area, Ericsson went, bye bye, not following you. Go on, carry on. I'm going back into my position. Now that's smart football. That's what Skulls used to do. Skulls didn't track people ever, did he? But Skulls would go, I'll do my job. And then when I have to, I'll just go back to my position and then I'll look after the territory. This is why Ericsson's been such a success. This is why he's now probably the first choice central midfielder at Manchester United, which is a bizarre thing to say. But when you haven't got Frankie de Jong, this guy can do stuff that Frankie de Jong does. He can do the six, he can do the eight, he can get the ball up to the 10, and he can do everything else in between. So his heat map there, we're just going to show it very quickly. You could see there going to the wing position in the second half because United were then trying to close down the game and just having more bodies. So he went and did that job. But when he was in the center of the pitch, he's just a bit of a maestro. And he just doesn't, he doesn't 
he doesn't care too much. He just does it all naturally. He doesn't then, sweat, Rob. He doesn't <laughs> you know? sweat. But Effortless. when you look, and then when you look at the running stats, he runs more than anyone. And it's not because he runs fast. You said at the top of the show, and I really wanted to talk about this for two minutes. You talked about Paul Pogba. So Paul Pogba, Paul Pogba could do many different things. But the one thing Paul Pogba didn't do in six years at Man United is what Ericsson's doing now. He didn't do this. He didn't do this kind of effervescent style of football. He's a relaxed player, Pogba, and can make the most outrageous passes. But it was a struggle to match Paul Pogba with other players, wasn't there? That became the issue. And those players matching Paul Pogba because Pogba was miles ahead of them in terms of skill. Now, Ericsson is helping McTominay. That's how it should be. He makes McTominay better. That's what you needed in there. Dion would make McTominay better. So you need that style of player in there. So Paul Pogba, great player, great central midfielder, but struggled to do the 6, 8, 10 function in, a, in one game. You could do one of them or two of them, but very early three. This guy does it all. He does it all. He literally gets the ball any part of the park. Look at the third goal, yeah? He's got no right to break through the lines there, but he reads it. He goes, there's a big, big space there. And if I run... Maybe one of them will see me. I think it was Delo that makes the pass, yeah, slides Bruno, it into I him. Now, yeah. I think it was, have a look, Bruno and Delo are together. I think it's Delo that makes the ball in there into, into Ericsson, not, not the second, first goal, for not Rashford's first goal, which was Bruno. But I think it comes from the right wide area and it's, it's Ronaldo getting tight. So there's three of them around the ball, but the ball pops out because Ericsson goes and you think, that's clever. Ericsson has initiated that. And as soon as Ericsson goes, I'm saying, I was watching Ada there. Shoot, I wanted Ericsson to score. I was like, go on, Ericsson, you're through. You're like, you're walking towards the goal. But he went, no, I'm going to make sure the ball ends. Cal calmest guy in the stadium. Absolutely. We were all going, shoot, 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 shoot. You can finish this. You're number 10. This is easy for you. And he just held the play up, let Marcus stay on side because that was really important. We were like, don't pass it too, too late, you know, because Marcus is going. Played it perfectly across there. Marcus Rashford, easiest goal he'll score all season long. Ericsson's winning man of the match performance is not because he is the man of the match, because he's dictating everything. It's because he does what he does so, so very well. Absolutely. And I think um, one of the biggest things about him, which I really like Rob as well, is that he's not someone who... Like he's not he's not the quickest, is he? He's not the physically the most no. strongest, but he's the smartest player on the pitch. And yeah. he's building a nice connection with Bruno Fernandes now, who's playing much more higher up in positions that he likes. And he's staying there. He's not coming back. Oh, it, it just used to drive me mad. I'm sure all the listeners were the same. Whenever Bruno drops deep and you're just like, just stay where you are. So he's being mm -hmm. a lot more disciplined because he knows that I've got a player there who can just pick me out and, and play a pass through the lines. Verticality is what I like about Christian Eriksen. I'm really excited to see what more he can do. My only concern, Rob, is that this is a long season and there isn't another profile like Eriksen in the squad. So should touch wood, he gets injured or he because he's going to be knackered. You know, he's not going to be able to play every single game. What do United do in that situation? And that's the thing. So I think United in January will have to go and find another option. I really hope that we we still go back for Frankie De Jong or, or, or a player of that profile. There aren't many similar to Frankie De Jong. I think in world football, and maybe Christian Eriksen is one of the closest ones to Frankie De Jong, but I don't think he can go and play 60 games a season. 
that's that's my opinion anyway. No, I don't think I don't look, look. I don't think anyone can really play 60, 65 games at a highest level and just carry on doing that. So nothing to do with Ericsson's health. Ericsson is a really healthy guy now. You know, we know what happened a year ago. But I think with Frankie Dion, I'm just gonna be straight up about this. I think Man United fans need to forget about him. Let him go. Let him go and do what he wants to do. If he wants to play for Barcelona for peanuts. Go and play for peanuts. No problem. Go and renegotiate your contract. Sit there, moan, cry, whatever. I think United now need to get past Frankie De Jong. So this is why Ericsson just doing this is such a good thing. You just said there in terms of squad profile, you know, what have you got? Well, you've got a young lad called Zidane Akbal. He can do this kind of stuff. Sit deeper, be intelligent. Yes, he's young and yes, he's raw. But he can do all of these kind of things where you join the dots, where you go short and you say to someone, Scotty, I'm better at passing the ball than you, so give it to me. I'll turn, I'll make that pass because I can make that pass. So United have got enough in the squad as it is. I don't think you're going to get a first teamer in the next window in January. It's going to be just after a World Cup and the premiums are going to be crazy. So if someone does well at a World Cup in December, you know, they might be worth 20, 30, 40 million. And then you go and buy them, they're worth 100 million. So that's going to be difficult for United. I think that's a difficult thing to, to manufacture. But I do believe you're right. You know, I think you do need another ball player in there. You might just have to be patient and wait for it. Or you might push someone like Fred and say, right, Fred or Casemiro, right, Casemiro, you're going to start more and you're going to need to be more of a ball player than just a defensive midfielder. And I think he can do that. The metrics say that he can pass the ball out from the back. It's just nice to see, Haydar. It's just nice to see that United have actually got options. And, and I think Ericsson, I, I would not be surprised if he plays more games this season than any other player at Man United. I think he might rack up the most starts this year because he can do that metronomic midfield role that Skulls used to. Skulls used to do it all the time, never looked tired, never looked over the top. I think when you look at uh, Ericsson, that's one of the things you just said there, never sweats. Look at him even in this picture. He's a bit like, yeah, I'm running the game and I'm just looking after this zone. And the ball's at my feet and I'm popping it here. And look, now I'm the one making the last run and I've won you the game because I'm that good. Fantastic start from Ericsson. Really, really pleased. And he's doing exactly what I thought he could do at Man United. I felt he was this good and that he could help United win football matches. Yeah, and I think, you know, a lot of people saying Fred in the comments. I think Fred had a good cameo yesterday when he came on. He looks much more comfortable further forward. Yeah. Uh, and Iqbal as well is another one. Like a couple of comments here saying about Zidane Iqbal, so he could play some games as well. Definitely. Rob, we're just going to, before we wrap up, just a, a couple of minutes. Uh, United are playing midweek against Real Sociedad in mm. the Europa League. Would you expect Eric Ten Hag to make a lot of changes for that game? Yeah, completely. Yeah, this is when you make your changes. So I said last week that I want to see him maintain uh, the starting eleven and not go too crazy with it. You know, let's just kind of, let's just make the one or two changes that you need to. So obviously he brought Anthony in the team for Arsenal. And I think that change was beneficial. It certainly you got, you got the win and the goal off him. So that helps. But I don't really want to see Man United's go too crazy about the Europa League at this stage. You know, use your squad. So I expect Maguire will play. I expect Lindelof will play. I would I'd expect Luke Shaw to play. So you might go back to last season's team. I think Cristiano will start. So it's still a good side to go out there and to be able to win a football match of this level. Um, but again, it's just down the list of priorities. It really is. Ten Hag will want to win a trophy this year. But I think Ten Hag is patient enough to understand that the three points for a win in the Premier League is everything at the moment. Keep racking up three points every week and the rest of it, whatever will be, will be. So, uh, uh, you know me, never too particularly high on Europa League, kind of really don't like it as a tournament. It's 
just dreadful. You know, it's just I always think of it as a game where you play it and someone gets injured, and then you play your Premier League game and you lose that because someone's injured. It's just like ah. But uh, a good chance to see some rotation. I'd love to see Zidanek Bell in the midfield for all of the Europa League games. Play him all those matches. Give um, Charlie Savage opportunities there as well. And this is your chance also to keep Alanga going, isn't it? Ticking over because he came out the team and there's no doubt that maybe Anthony will, will be the, the, the starter now and Alanga will be on the fringes again. But you can keep Alanga hot in the cup competitions, keeping him involved. And it's all about tactics. Keep doing the same tactics. Get Cristiano up front. Tell him to do some pressing. Seems like he can do it, Haydar. It's just whether he wants to do it. And I think that's always the big thing for Cristiano moving forward. Question is, can you do it for 90 minutes? I still no. have my doubts. But I think no. I think we've seen what I saw from Ronaldo yesterday. I was like, you know what? Yeah, I'm happy to see you come off 30 minutes. And he will get goals. He's, he's so desperate to score. He, he tweeted. Do you see the tweet today? The tweet today was him signing some bits uh, at the side of, uh, of where they come in at the car park at Old Trafford. Signing them and kind of saying, you know, love doing this for you guys, you know. And it's a bit like, uh, yeah, transfer window's closed, you know. So here oh, we go. So, so I, I got no problem with Christian. This is the thing. People say it's about an agenda. It's so not about an agenda. It's just about what you can provide the team on a football pitch. I think he can give good function there as long as he does certain things in the press. And we don't expect him to be burning himself out after 60 minutes. But if he starts against in Europa League, there's every chance that you say playing for 60, 65 minutes <laughs> and he plays full tilt for that 65 minutes. And then the other 25 minutes, is one of the kids. You know, you can even play a Langer through the centre to do that press. He's played centre-forward for the, for the, the under-23s countless times. So he might not be as good a finisher as Ronaldo, but I bet he can press as well. So you've got options, and I think that we'll see that. We'll, we'll see full-scale rotations. I reckon six or seven for this match. And guys, as always, give this a like, hit the subscribe button as well. Give it a retweet on Twitter. I want to get as many people involved in these conversations. Thank you for all your great comments as well. We, we wouldn't be doing this without you guys. Make sure you give us a follow on at MC. Give me a follow on at Hader underscore Rabani. And give Rob a follow on at underscore Rob underscore B. That's four wins on the trot now for Man United. Eric Ten Hag is cooking something. We'll see you all next time.